Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. We're um, going to take a little bit of a backtrack today. The title of today's message is called Remaining Christian. Um, there'll be some notes on your church app. Um, this is um, a message where mostly I shared um, about six weeks ago with our Sunday night crew, but because of the way that this year is going um, with the COVID, the rotations, but also one of the big agendas that I actually have um, is to actually set our church up for um, the three to four months when I'm on long service leave. So you're going to have so many more other speakers coming up. But um, there's one of those messages that I was kind of like really wanting the entire church to really try to get hold of. And it's not a complicated one, it's not a long one. And um, some of you may perceive it's like, oh, not a very spiritual one. I disagree. This is a very spiritual message, um, but it's a very practical message. And, um, but I'm praying that we're going to be able to um, glean from this today. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 8, verse 10 to 12. You'll, um, if you've been part of the journey, you'll know we're actually are backtracking. Um, and in May, we're going to backtrack a little bit as well because we've missed a couple of um, um, portions of Scripture in our, um, in our series thus far, just because of um, the way that the year has gone with rotations and, and so forth. Are you guys ready to hear God's Word? Yeah. Are you going to encourage like your brother in Christ? Yeah. Two of you are fantastic. The rest of you, come on! <laughs> Matthew 8, verse 10 to 12. This is the story about the centurion, which Doug talked about a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to pick up on something that we weren't able to focus on, but it is very important for us to pay attention to. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and he said to those following, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Verse 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. This is God's word for us. Let me pray. Father, we come before you and we come under Holy Scripture today. I ask that as we um, talk a little bit about um, these couple of verses that it would actually open up our imagination as to what it means to be Christian. As we're on this journey of pilgrimage and as we are apprentices of Jesus Christ, learning the ways of Jesus, I ask that there will be a posture of wanting to learn. And it will also just be a posture of wanting to change some things in our life so that we could be a more faithful representation of what it means to be truly human in this world and to be this new community called the local church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, listen to this observation uh, made by one scholar. There's never been a more dangerous time for the church. It's swimming against the moral tide of culture. And frankly, it's sinking. It's struggling to keep its head above water. From the outside, it faces growing oppression from tyrannical rulers and the reality of increasing persecution at the hands of anti-Christian majority. From within, some Christian leaders are leading Christians astray with new and seemingly more attractive interpretations of Scripture. And those who are um, trying to stay faithful are left scratching their heads in bewilderment at the loss of how to respond. The situation looks incredibly, incredibly bleak. 
I mean, does that sound like a pretty contemporary observation of the world in which you look at right now? Even the last couple of weeks, we've seen some things unravel in the church. We don't know all of the details, but we can kind of get a bit of a thing. You know what? Things aren't exactly all right in the church right now. And, and uh, like I know for me as someone who is... Um, uh, who, who, who was tasked of actually trying to unpack scripture and actually articulate it in a palatable, in a palatable way so that we could actually outwork it. Gee, sometimes I leave just scratching my head as well. Um, there, there are times when I visit people and um, I go into people's houses and, and um, I, well, I visit people a lot, but sometimes I go into people's houses and like, I, I pay attention to um, the books on their coffee tables, just in case I'm ever in your house, and the, the books in their shelves. And sometimes I walk in there and I see some of the books and I'm thinking, oh dear, why are you reading that? Like, um, on Instagram, on, um, when I have like, um, you hit the, the, I don't know, you hit one of those buttons. Gee, I'm starting to show my age, aren't I? But for some reason, I don't know if it's because, uh, I don't know, I'm a Christian, I follow Christians, but you, you get all these, like, the, these preachers and they got the, like their 30-second um, snippet that comes up. Sometimes it's good stuff. Most of, the start, most of the time I'm thinking, why in the world are people liking this? Why are people commenting amen? Because there is an articulation of the gospel um, in the world sometimes, and I leave just scratching my head sometimes. I'm thinking, any wonder the church is in such a state? We actually don't know who the church is. We don't know what the good news of Jesus the King is. We don't know what it means to live in here. So um, I, I'm kind of left that way sometimes. It might interest you to know that um, this observation was not made of the church in 2020. In fact, this scholar actually made this observation about the church in the first century, in Asian Mayana. In fact, it was the introduction of a study in the book that we call the Revelation. And um, I read that a couple of years ago, and I thought to myself, well, isn't that interesting that the church has always been vulnerable? The church has always been a little bit strange. The church has always been under threat. And um, the church has always had these things that we grapple with today. Um, and that kind of made me sit down and say, you know what, Dave, maybe you should stop whinging and complaining a little bit and maybe get on with the task. Does anyone agree with that? Like, Dave, just quit your whinging like you do. Amen. Fantastic. I want to talk about what it means to remain Christian. Because um, I think that's a really big um, question for us in 2022. My personal journey with Jesus, um, I grew up in church, but it really began probably at the age of 18. And um, I was um, in this situation where um, God really did apprehend me. And um, there are moments where God does apprehend some people. I don't think it was a good thing that I got apprehended. I think that if you ever come to a place where God has to apprehend you, it's like, whoa, Dave, you could have easily gone down this way and that way. And even now, as I look back on my life, I, 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 I see the scenarios of where I could be right now, and I look back and I say, gee, Jesus, thank you so much, because I could be here, I could be there, I could be there, but right now, because of what you've done in my life, I'm right here. But I remember there was a moment um, where God really did strike hard in my heart, and um, and um, it was a decision moment. And it was a moment of actually really taking stock and being really honest with myself. It was one of those moments that kind of lined up with what we've been studying last year as we went through the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, verse 1 to 3. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It was a moment when I was 18 and God came and he actually apprehended me and it was a moment where there was absolutely no dispute. 
I couldn't actually fake it. I couldn't actually um, respond in any other way but to say, yes, I am completely bankrupt before you, God. I'm completely empty. There is nothing in my life that would add up. I am completely, completely bankrupt. I think it's amazing as we went through the Sermon on the Mount that people who come to that reality, the response from the Lord is not like, yeah, you're you're just nothing. The response from the Lord for anyone who actually has that revelation or is honest enough to say, before you, God, I am spiritually bankrupt, his response is, Makarios, welcomes, blessed are you, welcome, come on in. You make it into the kingdom of God. Jesus' kingdom is filled with people who live in this undisputed reality. Are you part of the kingdom of God? Raise your hand if you say you're part of the kingdom of God. All right, that's most of us here. So that would mean if you're part of the kingdom of God, I can make that assumption about you right now that you are absolutely bankrupt before God. There is no scope for arrogance, is there? If I'm completely bankrupt before God, there's not like, see, one of the reasons I don't like this stage is because I'm like kind of all the way up here and I'm looking down and I'm like, wait a minute, we're brothers and sisters together. Like, I want to actually be looking like, like eye to eye. We're on the same level here. You know what I'm saying? There is no scope. There is no room for me to have arrogance or anything because I'm the same as you. I'm poor in spirit. I was poor in spirit when God really took hold of me at the age of 18 and now at the age of 42, guess what? I'm still poor in spirit. At the age of 52, this is where I pray I am, poor in spirit. At the age of 82, as I'm getting ready to, to, to leave this beautiful world, as I'm getting finished to complete what God's actually given me to do in this world, I pray that at 82, that my posture in my heart is like God is undisputed. I'm still poor in spirit. I want to be that kind of person. Um, I, I, don't, I don't want that to ever change. I am a sinner, and so are you, who's poor in spirit. I've come to realize that just by even identifying as a sinner, that means that I am the object of God's constant, persistent love and focus by taking on that. Read through the Gospels. Who's Jesus chasing after? Those who are sinners, eh? Who's he still chasing after? Who's he still relentlessly in love with? Me. I identify with that. I'm poor in spirit. I'm bankrupt before God. I don't ever want to leave that. I don't want to be part of a church that ever gets arrogant to think that we are all that. We aren't all that. We're New Spring Church. We're in Camelo for crying out loud. Our pleasure is to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to people in Armadale and in Gosnells. It is our pleasure. Is it easy? It is very difficult. That's why people don't stay. They come. People love the idea of coming to a messy church, a broken church. Then after a while, it gets too hard and they leave. But there has to be some people going to stick around because the work is... Well, there's a lot of work, isn't there? Anyway, I've been digressed too much. The question for 2022, in light of their previous quote in light of actually being poor in spirit is how do I stay Christian because that's hard Um, that's hard Jesus teaching rolls off our tongue far too easily love your neighbor love your enemy but to be honest in the last couple of years in the Christian church all over the world on um, oh mate all sorts of stuff I've actually um, 
I've, I've lost my Twitter account. I haven't lost it. I've just forgotten my password. But that was just a nasty place to be as well. I've actually observed that Christians have seemingly made enemies of people inside the church this year. And that's even happened in New Spring Church. And that's a big reason why um, this message, I wanted to talk to our whole church. Because as a senior pastor, I guess it's my job to actually say, come on, this is not who we are. We're actually better than this. We're the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to love your enemies, and then he says um, to love your neighbor. By that rationale, we shouldn't have any enemies, and we should be loving people full stop. Is that right? But loving's kind of difficult, isn't it? You know, especially if people get on your nerve. You know, some people just really get on your nerve. We've had a lot of things that have threatened to infiltrate the church over the last year or so, you know? I remember, um, like, we, we were absolutely, if you were looking at some common KPIs, we were, we were back to flying in January. Like, 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 through January, I mean, I'd been back from August, and I'd been doing, like, be, being here, being present. Come January, man, it was just getting back to where we were in 2019, if anyone remembers that, you know? We were busting at the seams, having problems with, with kids' rooms and all that, and guess what happened? The masks came. Dun, dun, dun. Mate, that week the mask came, half the church didn't rock up. Some people, I said, no, Dave, you're going to make us, like... And then after that, because our air conditioning is, like, no good, we made the decision to have outdoor services. Oh, I would have thought, man, it's so good, right? I would have thought, man, that's a wise decision. Um, <laughs> not for everyone. <laughs> and then you have vaccination mandates, regulations by the government. And then you have some Christian groups all around the world and all thinking, oh, man, like the government's the anti Wait a minute. Every single government around the world is having the same um, position towards COVID over the last couple of years. It doesn't matter if you're part of a Muslim nation, a communist nation, or a liberal democracy like what we are. But for all of a sudden, we Christians jump up and down. I was talking to a principal, um, one of the Christian principals, as they were like, leading into this. And like going through like a day, like... like so stressed out because obviously the education system is very different. And I said to him, so isn't it interesting that this issue doesn't seem to be too much of an issue except when you, when you come to Christians? And he said, Dave, you are so right. Isn't that an interesting observation? Right? How do we stay Christians? Jesus, Jesus like commands actually pretty black and white. Love your neighbor, love your enemies. That means we need to love. Our ethic is love. Our posture is love. So I've seen that all over the church, and um, there have been little bits and pieces that have entered into our church as well. And um, that's the reason why I just thought, you know, what a perfect way to actually, um, actually correct some of that by actually going to the teachings of Jesus. And in particular, one little sentence that we often just read over as well. So the New Testament actually gives us some very, very useful pictures as to what it means to be a Christian. They're metaphors. These are metaphors that are supposed to spark our imagination to actually help us remain faithful as Christians in this world. And how many of you know we've got so much complexity in the world, I need all the help I can get. You know, I'm not the smartest person in the room, so I need all the help I can get. Some of these images are pretty well known to us. 
Probably the most well-known image or picture or metaphor that you and I know of is that of a disciple. Are you aware of that? That we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Everyone aware of that? You've heard that language before? I think, unfortunately, that word disciple seems to be a little bit of a misfit in today's culture. But if we actually translated that into a vernacular which was more appropriate to um, Western Australia or Australia, we would actually say that as a Christian, I am an apprentice of Jesus because that's what a disciple is. I'm an apprentice. Do you understand that word apprentice? Has anyone gone through an apprenticeship before? Right? Are you currently doing your apprenticeship? You're finished now. You finished it? You had some classes. You had some things you had to learn, Sam? Yeah? I mean, what would happen if you didn't go to your classes, man? You would still be an apprentice, right? But the word apprenticeship actually means some things. That actually implies some things. It means that if I'm an apprentice of Jesus Christ, I am a learner. That means I don't know everything, you know? Some people come to the senior pastor expecting the senior pastor. No. <laughs> In fact, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I do not know. It is just one of those conundrums of life. I'm a learner. I'm not like I'm, I'm someone who has a teacher. I, I, I'm needing people to teach me along the way. As an apprentice, I'm someone who's practicing certain ways of doing life. There are certain ways that I'm supposed to do life. It's a vocation that requires discipline. It's a vocation that, dis- that actually requires time. And it's a vocation that demands so much patience. Because as an apprentice, you can assume, if I'm an apprentice of Jesus Christ, if I'm a learner, as you're a learner, that we're going to make some mistakes along the way. Wouldn't that, make so- wouldn't that be right? Anyone who has an apprentice knows, okay, I just need to go back and just, just make sure you haven't made a couple of mistakes. And it's not to actually bang your head with a rod or something like that or to give you a punishment. It's actually to teach. It's so that you will grow, so that you will know the appropriate way to do things in life. Isn't that right? That's what it means to be an apprentice in the world, so much more so to be an apprentice of Jesus. How in the world are Christians going to be apprentices of Jesus Christ if they even rock up? If they're not in community with people who are older and wiser, if, if young married couples, if you're not like, in, integrating your life with other healthy married families, how in the world are you going to learn what it means to be a husband? How are you going to learn what it means to be a wife? How are you going to learn what it means to actually be a father or a mother? This is a process of learning. And there is a, a, an assumption which I have, and like Andrew and I have, that, that when it comes to this church, the assumption that we have is that all of us are going to make mistakes. So I thank God for His grace. I thank God for things like forgiveness. I thank God for things like mercy. Right? We understand that, don't we? The other thing that we've been really laboring on um, over the last year is this um, vision of the family. The number one atonement motif in the New Testament is that of family. J.I. Packer said in his book, Knowing God, a Christian is one who knows God as Father. Do you know God as Father? Man, that's awesome. That must mean to your family. So we're actually siblings together, right? I'm your brother, like it or not. You You can choose your friends. You cannot choose your family. You are stuck with me for eternity. Go and like chew on that. You know what I'm saying? But, 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 but you, you see, like, as a sibling, this is not like a thing, oh, Dave, you're the same. No, you might think, oh, Dave, you're just the same as me. No, this goes deeper than that. 
This goes to the point of like, Dave, you belong to me. And I belong to you. We belong to each other. We belong to each other as siblings. We belong to each other. We've been really trying to labor on that in the church, that we belong to each other. We love each other. We get ticked off with each other sometimes. Sometimes you frustrate me. You stress me out, let me tell you that. And sometimes you have to roll your eyes and think, oh, that's just, that's just Dave being Dave. Isn't that right, Eva? It's like, that's Dave being Dave. But as we get to know each other, we actually get to know our personalities, our, inter, inter, like our idiosyncrasies and things like that. And we also get to know the gifts and the strengths and the graces that we all have. And we also know the gifts and the graces and the strengths that we don't have, right? They're two both important things, but we belong to each other. We love each other. When you belong to each other, like I understand families make enemies of family like in the world, but just because that happens in the world does not mean that happens in the church. But we are siblings. Other one I mentioned before is that we're sinners. Listen to Paul, um, as his words to um, Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. Paul says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. As far as my knowledge would um, allow me to be informed, in this room, from my perspective, I am the worst sinner in this room because I'm aware of my thoughts. I'm aware of who I am. I know myself. I have to live with me. You guys get to go home at the end of this, right? Andrew still needs to live with me. But even she can get away from it. I have to live with me. I know I'm not perfect, right? But if I can identify with that, okay, God, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know it. I'm poor in spirit. I'm the focus of your love. I'm going to revel in that. And as I revel in the love of Jesus, guess what? He's changing me. He's transforming me. It's, it's amazing. Like Transformation in the Lord happens when we're absolutely honest before him, doesn't it? Same with your marriage. You got problems in your marriage? I know a whole bunch of people do. There's a lot of, a lot of marriage stuff in the church. How about starting with absolute raw honesty and allow truth and just allow God to start working and he works very slowly all right there's another image another metaphor in the bible which i had not thought about very deeply at all until um i think it was late last year um when i was listening to um one of my podcasts and like a, a theologian who's really shaped me over the last three years and consequently really has like been part of shaping our church and um, he was talking about this other picture of the Bible, which is to inform us and spark our imagination as to how we are to live as a faithful um, new community in this world. And um, the, the picture is actually found throughout Scripture. So I've got a couple of Scriptures. It's on your, um, on your um, church app as well as on the screen. But I'll just read through them and then we'll kind of like settle on it um, as we, um, we draw to the close. Luke 15, verse 1 to 2 now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, muttered, 
You can always tell a religious person, they always mutter, 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 mutter. Whenever you hear a mutterer, think to yourself, oh, Lord, just need to pray for that person. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Matthew 9, verse 9 to 11, Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Matthew 22, verse 1 to 3, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. And this picture, this metaphor, this theme, is something that Matthew really does pick up, especially in the chapters that we are talking about um, as we're going through this study of when Jesus comes down from the mountain or when Yahweh comes down from the mountain. That's what we're trying to do with this series, lift up our, our vision of who Jesus is, lift the Christology of, of this church up. But Matthew 8, verse 10 to 12, I've read it before, I'm going to read it again. Jesus speaking to the centurion from verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I tell you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think verse 11 is something that gets missed in a lot of our readings when he says that many... I thank God that I'm part of the many right here, right now. I'm part of that many. You know how I know I'm part of that many? I'm poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit? Well, then you're part of the many. Isn't that good to know? But many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember in that passage of scripture that we call the Last Supper, is Jesus taking the bread and taking the wine, and he says, I'm not going to eat of this until that day. There's this eschatological feast, this banquet, this wedding feast that we are all invited to that is going to be happening in the culmination of the kingdom of God. There's this feast that is going to be incredible. There's this feast that scripture talks about. There's this feast that... Um, um, that Jesus talks about, and is found throughout the Scripture. So in understanding who I am, these metaphors, we can understand and we can immediately relate to, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yes, I'm a disciple and apprentice. I'm a sibling or my brother who belongs to the family of God. But added to that, um, that toolkit, if we were, of metaphors, of pictures, and our understanding of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, we are also guests to this feast. We are guests. Christians today are supposed to live in a certain way. Some people may call it a proleptic way. What does that mean? That we live right now the reality that is to come. Right? That's what it means to live in a proleptic way. 
So if you and I are invited to this great banquet, which is to come, and the way that we live is supposed to actually point to that, live in anticipation of that, and actually let everyone else know about that, that would seem to me that part of the things I need to reconsider in 2022 is what does it mean to be a good table guest at this feast that I'm invited to? I'm going to show you some things. I'm going to get Eva to come up because she's our in-house activist. Everyone knows that. Uh, Michaela, you want to come up as well? Come and have a seat over here. That'll be kind of, kind of good. Um, who else should we get? Uh, anyone else want to come up? Karen, do you want to come up? You were up here before. You might as well like, come up. There we go. Michaela doesn't want to come up? You don't want to come up? Okay, I'll get Jaron to come up then. <laughs> you guys don't need to do anything. You just need to sit over here. But I just want to like, um, oh, Leroy, you can come up. Leroy, you can come up. We haven't got enough seats, but Leroy can come up as well. Get the, let, the, let the children come to the Lord. You know the biggest reason why I, I, I love the Teen Jam stuff that's going to come on? Because the kids are going to get up on this stage and they're going to get to use the equipment that actually belongs to them because they're part of the church. See, sometimes we get this little entitlement that comes and this equipment, all this stuff, other than the personal stuff, like we, we can say, oh, don't break it, don't mess that up. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. We are the church, you know. Like so many people ask to, like, like Simone, I think Simone's around here, Simone Stewart, so asking permission to do jitterbugs. And I'm like, this is your church? It's your church, all right? Let's, um, let's anyway, so it's, it's going to be good anyway. All right, so these guys invited. We're in heaven, so we don't need to be COVID safe. <laughs> We're invited to the table. Well, you can be if you want. And um, so just imagine I'm sitting at this table as well, all right? I'm just looking. I'm invited to this table as well. I want to talk about some of the ways that we treat our fellow brothers and sisters. I think one common way that you might be able to um, kind of relate to is like, what are you doing here, man? Man, I know your life. Who invited you? You don't belong here. It's like, it's like, have you ever like sort of encountered that? It's like, dude, man, like seriously, man, you, your life all messed up. There is no way that you actually were invited over here. And what happens is that, like, I take, the, I take the posture, instead of one who's been invited, I take the posture of actually honestly believing that I'm the one who invited. I'm not the one who invited people. He did. I've been invited. But so often we can look at other people and say, man, you, look, I mean, you, you stink too much. Man, like, what, what's that on your breath? Man, I know what you've been doing. Man, you've been smoking a bit. There's no way. Right? Isn't that right? First and foremost, there needs to be this real appreciation that I did not invite anyone to this table. I've been invited. I'm not the invitee. That's God's business. My business is how am I going to behave when I'm sitting at the table? That's my business. All right? That's what, it, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Look at like someone like Leroy. Say, sorry, man, where's the waiter? 
Leroy, I'm sorry, there's supposed to be a kids' table around here, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you're sitting with the grown-ups. We honestly think like this wedding banquet of Jesus, like the weddings that we actually go to. I remember when I was young, we were always placed on the kids' table. Anyone else? Always on the kids' table. And there was a separation of the, of the generations, which has happened. That's not a paradigm in the New Testament. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Do you remember when we went through the household codes when we went through Ephesians? The, 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 the important thing about when we went through those household codes is comparing God's household codes to the rest of the Roman Empire's household codes. And the thing that was so significant that the household codes addresses everyone in the family. Everyone is together. That's the implication. So you got like the husband, you got the wife, you got the kids all there together and you also have the servants. You have the slaves. And they're all included. And what it actually lets everyone know in the house is that you are significant, you are important, you are valued, you belong at this table, Leroy. That's what, it, that's what those household codes tell us. And that was a distinctly different thing to all of the rest of the Roman Empire. And that is a big point that Paul is trying to make with that. Or you might look at someone like Eva. I mean, you've got a bit of an activist kind of thing. <laughs> to be honest, Eva, I don't want to sit next to you. Because you, you too woke, aren't you? You woke. This a woke Christian. Waiter, I don't want no woke Christian on my table because it's offensive. It's offensive. If you think you're woke, what are you trying to say? I'm asleep, right? You're calling me like dozy and sleepy and, man, now you're just into all this social justice kind of stuff. Man, that, let me tell you, that is just not Christian, you know? But, but like... So, so, so we have people who have a burden for the marginalised and the disenfranchised and then we actually make enemies of them, don't we? And it goes the other way as well. Don't get me wrong, all right? I think that's where maturity actually has to step in and actually say, wait a minute, we're actually doing this together. So if, if you can get off your soapbox, I'm going to get off my soapbox as well and let's actually look at Scripture and do this together. You know what I'm saying? But... but, we, but, but I can't believe the Lord would allow a woke Christian to sit at the banquet table. Anyone else think that's completely absurd? Yeah, you're too scared to say it now, right? Woke Christian. I mean, I'm looking over here and like I'm like a waiter. I need the Indian section. I need the Indian section. Man, I, like, uh, this is what I want, all right? This is what I want, waiter. I want, uh, I want the Indian section and I also want a menu because I want to know what I'm going to be given to eat. I want to make sure I'm being fed well because the things I like to eat is different to this guy. I mean, this guy, look at him. He's like nowhere near Indian. But then we have all these ethnic divides. And even if you look at the churches, you say, man, there's an African church and there's an Asian church and there's an Indian church. And please do not make the mistake that actually represents the kingdom because the kingdom is all colors, all races, all tongues coming together. All of us. I love the fact that we see all these different colored faces here. I love the fact that you look at your senior pastor and he's a chocolate brother. I love that. Isn't that good? We need more color in the world. But this is how we treat people. Now, if I was actually sitting at the table, any table, let alone God's table, and I came across with that kind of attitude, would you, would you consider me a good table guest? Number one, I think that I'm the one who has actually invited people, and I want to actually say, like, Jaron, you need to get out of here, right? I keep on picking, it's just because I can see you. Karen, you can get out of here. Oh, here's another thing too. We've got women at this table. Where's the men's table? 
Where's the men's table? And, he, and here's another thing that, that kind of happens as well. Is that then, then we actually, I'm going to say it anyway. This is what happens in the church. Then we put these parameters, these safety things around, which actually excludes women, right? We, we have all these rules, which to be honest, looks at women as if they are stumbling blocks, Right? You know what I'm saying? So all of a sudden, I can't like I, I can't hang out and go to Dome and have a coffee with Eva because you know what? That's not the right thing. To, wait a minute. Around this table, everyone should feel nice and safe. Everyone should feel secure, right? It shouldn't be a place where where Eva and Karen actually feel like there there is like feel insecure or not safe because they're surrounded by a bunch of blokes. No, we actually want to actually have tables where men and women both feel safe. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So that's what like, like we kind of do. Can we give them a hand as we go? As we're running out of time, run out of time. So what does it mean to be a good table guest? It means that we are to be hospitable to each other. My... my um, my, my posture towards Jaron and, and the rest of them should have been, you know what, I don't belong here. I don't, know even, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I'm just so happy I got invited. And like Jaron would say to me, Dave, you don't belong here. I don't belong here either. That's awesome. We're both poor in spirit. Isn't it amazing? How much gratitude and thanksgiving can we give because we've been invited to the banquet? Praise God for that. I don't belong here. You don't belong here. But we're here. Isn't that amazing? I want to rejoice in that. <laughs> we might look at someone and say, you know, you're looking a bit sad. But can, I, can I comfort you? Can I get like, like a tissue or something? Can I help you in your distress right now? I want to pay attention. I just don't want to be sitting here and like Karen's over there, like just bawling her eyes out. I'm going, yeah. <laughs> oh, Jaron, how'd the footy go yesterday? Oh, awesome, man. Those eagles, miracle and marvel. Jesus is real. You know what I'm saying? And completely ignore that there's actually issues in hand. No, no. That's not being a, a, a hospital, a good table guest at all. You go to someone and all of, us, all of us should have a burden for the oppressed and vulnerable. If you're a follower of Jesus, everyone. Look after the widow. Look after the foreigner. We've got some widows and foreigners in the church. Look after them. You know? What does it mean to do that? But you have someone and, and, and they're being accused and saying, you, you got me, you're just woke, you got this. And like my posture should be, because in everything I'm doing as I'm getting older, I, I'm just coming to the appreciation that I need to learn from everyone. So my posture should be Eva, like, you've got a real heart for this. Can you tell me a little bit more? Like, I, I'm obviously, there's, there, 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 there's, there's a portion of, of, of my understanding which is like unlearned in this area. Can you teach me? Can you show me? To actually have a posture of actually wanting to learn, that would be far more better than actually pointing a finger and saying, I just don't want to hang out with the woke Christians anymore. All right? And for the woke Christians, the same goes the other way. You can't have a mindset and say, oh, yeah, you know what? Everyone else, you're just blinded because I, I should. Let me just tell you something. I don't think I am. I don't think I'm blind. But I want to actually have everyone coming around the table and being, um, I want to be part of that. And also the older generation. That's part of our purpose statement. The older generation have wisdom. Younger generations have strength. How do we work together to do that?
How do we work together to do that? What does it mean to be a good table guest in 2022? You may have come here and say, it's Palm Sunday day. Why are you talking about this? It's Palm Sunday. One thing that we do not do as Christians is to consider what the victory of Jesus Christ has created. And as pockets of resurrection life and resurrection power, we are supposed to rehearse and then rehearse and then rehearse and rehearse again what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And again, we went through this when we studied through Ephesians. He has created a new people. He's created a new humanity. He's created a new community that is called the local church, temples of the Holy Spirit. A temple is a monument to the victory of Christ and a literal place on earth where heaven and earth intersect. That is a temple. That is who we are. And we are to continually rehearse the victory of Christ. And one of the pictures, one of the metaphors that Scripture gives us in order to be faithful in that rehearsing, faithful in that living, in that abiding, in that belonging, in that delighting, is that of a table guest. And as I sit here with you and Christians from all over the world and all other generations, we are invited to this incredible banquet, this eschatological banquet feast. And we are to live in such a way, in a proleptic way, that we anticipate this incredible feast. But we live in such a way to demonstrate it right here, right now. And that is what we get to do as New Spring Church. Did you get that picture? Let me pray for you and then we're going to go and actually have another opportunity to do this by actually going and dwelling and delighting with each other as we drink coffee and do things like that. Let me pray. So, Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for your word. And um, I pray that as we've um, we've just tried to unpack some things, I pray that greater understanding will come. I ask that you would have sparked our imagination in new ways, in new... um, exciting ways, in ways of discovery. And I ask that there will be opportunities for us to delight in each other, to be good table guests, Lord. Father, we pray that the hostilities and the divisions of this world, that they would not enter New Spring Church. Father, that this would be a faithful witness of what you have um, won on the cross, this new family that calls you Father and delights in each other. In Jesus' name, amen.